You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Gino looks, going to lay it up over the top. Got a man out there. It is locking. He has got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop. Going to look. Gets hit. Goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. Out of all of those Steve Rabel calls, I have to say, John Boyle, I am disappointed that his voice did not crack in a single one of them because his voice cracked on the game winner Monday yes, night. It did. And it was spectacular. It's hard to blame him. I mean, it was, oh, I it know. was a I, damn exciting play. It was really exciting. The whole thing was exciting. It was a much-needed win. And in all the years that you and I have covered this team, I don't think I've seen Pete Carroll respond quite like that to a win. Yeah, I mean, he's always fired up after a win, but that one just, I think, you know, look, he, he'd never lost four in a row in, in the NFL, or at least since he's been in Seattle. And I think it's weighing on everybody. Like, that's a tough stretch to go through. They knew that, you know, that game was pretty much make or break for the season in terms of their playoff hopes. So the the importance of the game and then the nature of that finish, I think it just brought out a lot of excitement out of everybody. Well, and... You know, it was under pretty tough circumstances, right? It wasn't just the 92 yards in under two minutes with one timeout, but you had Drew Locke back there who hadn't been in that position in a long time. It it was uh, there was a lot of things that made that pretty spectacular. And the fact that he was perfect on third and 10 in that game. Yeah, it was unbelievable. The yeah. the number of third and longs, and on that final drive, he delivered every single time. Yeah, it was awesome to see. I mean, we we talked about it's funny. We talked about third down during the week of like that's an area that the Eagles defense had been a little vulnerable, and the CX third down numbers for the whole game weren't as good. But in some of those crucial moments, and as you said, third and ten, they came through on a bunch of those. And here's what I want you to consider: Where would the Seahawks be without Drew Locke? Because this is the year of the backup quarterback. There has been a ton of injuries around the league. I was reading an article from Randy Mueller, former GM of the Seahawks. No relation, but a very nice guy. Um, So I was looking at some of these numbers. There's only been six AFC teams that have started the same quarterback in every game. That could go down to five if Trevor Lawrence doesn't make it out of concussion protocol this week. In the NFC, eight teams have started multiple quarterbacks, including five in playoff contention. I was going to say, it's like, I think I heard all the division leaders are among the only teams that have yeah. had their, or at least most of the division leaders are the teams that have had their starter all season. Yeah. And just, I mean, you think about how durable Russell Wilson was for all of those years. And Gino has done a great job. And the team made the best decision um, in his interest and in the interest of the team that he didn't play. But part of the reason you can do that is you trust your backup. You trust yeah. your backup. And I thought it was interesting in reading through this article from Randy of how you value backup quarterbacks and you hope to never use them, but you still have to value them. Yeah. I mean, and you still have to give them reps, and it's just... Yeah, I mean, that was the prime example of, like, your season is essentially on the line, and you've got to trust this backup who's started all of one game in two years for you guys to go out against one of the NFC's best teams and play well enough to win that game. And it wasn't perfect. I mean, he and the offense got off to kind of a sluggish start, but when they needed it, he came through. He did indeed, and that game-winning touchdown catch from Jackson Smith and Jigba, it was the opposite side of the end zone that I was standing on, so I didn't get a good look until after the game, and that's about the time Pete Carroll saw it too. 
Somebody put a clip together from, uh, I think, the Rose Bowl or something like that. It was almost identical play and catch. Uh, why I bring that up is because we've seen him make catches on the practice field and in games already that you know he can make those plays, and you really kind of count on him doing it. He's just that good at it. He's got amazing body control and all that. So even when he made the catch, to me, it wasn't, I didn't think it was like the greatest catch ever. I didn't didn't know it was close, but uh, um, because he's so comfortable in those situations and so uh yeah, it was a fantastic play. The timing of it was, holy mackerel, it was really close on the sideline there. As Pete said, like, you watched that at full speed, and it was like, okay, nice play, like, good throw, good catch, and you didn't really appreciate the full extension. I mean, he caught the back half of that football with his fingertips. This wasn't a dropped-into-his-arms right. kind of catch. Like, and it's raining, you're looking up over your shoulder into the lights and the rain, and, I mean, that, that catch rain, was incredible. The rain, I think, actually helped him a little bit. Because when the rain hits those gloves, it makes Makes them just a little tackier on that one. But I talked to him about that catch this week, and I asked, like, how long has he been making catches like that? And he, on his phone, pulled up a catch that he made when he was five years old playing peewee football that was not a circus catch like that. But he's like, I've been catching touchdown passes since then. And in walkthroughs and practice, he said, look, I think I've gotten to the point where I can kind of screw around a little bit with catching things and walkthrough. He goes, in practice, I try to catch everything. I don't care where that ball is. I'm going to try to catch everything. That's part of the work that he puts mm-hmm. in. But he's like, in walkthrough, I, I kind of try to do kind like the circus thing. And it's just, just to kind of see. He goes, in the game, I obviously want to make it as easy as I possibly can. But I will tell you that it's no accident when you see him doing what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, I remember like first couple of days of training camp, he was making crazy one-handed catches. And it's like, it didn't take long to watch. I mean, I'm, I didn't watch a lot of Ohio State football. I'm sure their fans would be saying he's been doing this forever. But just seeing him up close and personal going back to training camp, it was like very early on. I was like, okay, this guy is special. Well, and you pointed out the other first-round pick for the Seahawks, also special, Devin Witherspoon, was not on the field this week, uh, last week, excuse me, on Monday Night Football. But there is an undeniable bond between those two, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Devin Witherspoon. They will always be together because of where they were drafted, but also it is very clear that they have become good friends. They, they do have a, they really have a, a, a cool relationship. Uh, they battle against each other in one-on-ones, you know, when we get a chance, and, and uh, it's a fierce competition and they take a lot of pride in beating the other guy and all that. So it's um, it's really healthy. And uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's nice for both those guys to have, a, you know, kind of a partner in this deal as they're going through their first time around and with all the notoriety and the pump and the hype and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think they're very fortunate to have each other. As Pete just said there, that when you come into the NFL as a first-round pick, there's a lot on you. There's a lot of expectations, pressure, all that. So I do think it's kind of helped that they are going through this together, but they have – I think the unique nature of they're not just both first-round picks, but they're first-round picks who throughout practice and training camp are going like up against each other. So you have the competitive nature, but they've also built this cool bond where they're just so supportive. You watch one of those guys, if they make a big play coming off the field, one of the first guys to meet, greet him will always be the other one. Like those yes. two are just – I mean, especially Witherspoon. He's like such a great hype man. We were seeing it in the game when he wasn't playing this past week. But when one of those guys does something good, the other one is right there to congratulate him. You, if you follow them on social media, they're always – you know, going back and forth, hyping each other up on social media as well. So it's, it's fun to see what's developing with those two. It is really cool also to see Jackson Smith and Jigba three touchdown catches this season. Two of them are game winners. He is the only rookie since 1960 with two game-winning touchdown receptions in the final minute of the fourth quarter. Seems good. It seems Being like the only good. one.
It seems that seems good. You know what? It seems like he would be a good piece to have on your fantasy team. And if you do, that is going to be crucial for your playoff chances as we check in with Scott Engel, our fantasy football expert. Thank you, John and Jen. And we head into week two of the fantasy football playoffs. Make sure you don't overthink things, start your stars, and stick with the successful lineup building processes that have brought you this far. In Week 15, D.K. Metcalf and Jackson Smith and Jigwam are fantasy football heroes. Their numbers on the game-winning drive push many fantasy football teams into the next round of their playoffs. And this week, look for Tyler Lockett to get involved in the fantasy postseason act. He has a top 15 wide receiver cornerback matchup advantage grade against opposing cornerback groups on pro football focus for week 16. The Titans rank 27th in fantasy points per game allowed to wide receivers. Elsewhere at wide receiver, keep some faith in Calvin Ridley. He has 33 targets in his past three games and Tampa Bay has allowed the most reception to wide receivers over the last four weeks. Also, Adam Thielen should have a bounce-back game. He has the fourth-best wide receiver cornerback matchup grade on pro football focus for any wide receiver this week against the Green Bay cornerbacks, and Green Bay ranks 28th in fantasy points per game allowed to wide receivers over the past four weeks. At running back, DeAndre Swift has a good matchup to use him as a flex or a fantasy running back, too. He had 18 carries last week, and the New York Giants ranked 30th in rushing yards allowed to opposing running backs. The Eagles have the fourth-best run-blocking grade advantage on pro football focus for Week 16. If you're looking for a deep play, consider the upside of Cincinnati's Chase Brown. He can score from anywhere on the field. He's a dual threat, and the Steelers rank 22nd in fantasy points per game allowed to running backs over the last four weeks. Injuries have hurt many fantasy teams at quarterback, but if you're still in the playoffs and need a streamer, consider Joe Flacco. He has passed for two touchdowns in all three of his games, played with the Browns this season with two 300-yard performances. And at tight end, Hunter Henry has reemerged for the New England Patriots with Bailey Zapp at quarterback. He has three touchdowns in his last two games, and the Denver Broncos allow the most fantasy points per game to tight ends. Good luck in your fantasy playoffs this week. More information and picks from me on Seahawks.com and the Fantasy Insider page. And also check out my Week 16 sleepers at thegameday.com and lineup rankings at rotoballer.com. Back to you, John and Jen. Thank you, Scott. Talking about receivers here. I was talking about receivers. Sure. You know that Julian Love was a receiver in high school? Yeah. I Well, because you brought that up in the press conference, <laughs> that he was he claims to be All-State and DK Metcalf doesn't believe him. Well, I would say this. I don't care where he got those hands, but I'm really glad that he has them. Yeah. That was too great. I mean, the, the second one was obviously the more spectacular catch and the game winner, but that first interception... To track a deep ball like that, you know, and people don't necessarily think of safeties as having the ball skills of a receiver and all that, but he, I mean, from the, Are you trying to cause problems in the locker room, no, by I'm the way, saying, John? you know, <laughs> sometimes the perception of a DB, I'm not personally saying I feel that way. 
But as soon as that ball left Hertz's hands, Julian Love just played it like a receiver, ran under it, made a good catch. As a result, Julian Love is the NFC Defensive Player of the Week. And while certainly it was for the stats that he put up on Monday, he has been vital to the team all year. It's a really good story. He's just look at his last month or so. He's just been playing great football and he's practiced really well and he does so much stuff. He's in teams, he's in everywhere, you know. And he's made the, you know, the Niner game. He had uh, responsible for a couple turnovers and he comes back again. He had during the week he had a couple in, in practice and and he comes out in the game time and he makes his plays there too. So he's been a he's been a, a, a really a great addition. He's been very very productive here lately. As Pete referenced, it's been four takeaways in two games. It's He's been a guy who, you know, he's been solid since he got here. They've really liked him in a lot of things he does. Pete alluded to it, but big special teams contributor as well. But he's really coming on, finding his way the last couple weeks where he's just making play after play. I would also like to put it in context and perspective like this. When you think about the Tennessee Titans, they have not been able to take the ball away very much this year. Just four interceptions, the fewest in the NFL. Julian Love has three in the last two weeks. That's pretty good. How about that? I like it. Let's keep it going. Yeah, here is the problem, though, with that Tennessee defense. They are a Mike Vrabel coach team. He was a defensive player, a very good one. They take on his personality, and um, this is not going to be easy, despite what their record is and kind of where things are for them in the season. Yeah, I mean, they're a team that's going to fight hard. Vrabel coach team, tough. You know, they are great in the red zone. I think you said they're number one in the NFL in the red zone, in fact. And again, it's, you know, teams, I think sometimes people think like, oh, this team's been eliminated. They're going to give up. Like more often than not, I think a lot of NFL teams, when they get knocked out of the playoffs, they kind of go in this mode of like, well, let's just wreck it for everybody else. So I'm, I'm very confident the Seahawks are going to get the best shot of that defense. Well, and there are things that the defense does well. They only allow 3.9 yards per rush. That is seventh best in the NFL. And I would go back and take a look at what Seattle did on the opening drive of that second half and go, man, I hope you pick up where you left off last week. Because of those plays, six of nine of those were running plays. And one of those passes was to Ken Walker, which kind of acted like a little bit of run play, too. Two of them. He had two catches, three carries on that. Okay, fine. Well, then my little chicken scratch notes here that I can't read. I should make more legible the next time. Either way, great drive. It was a great drive. And you're going to have to be able to run the ball against a defense that doesn't really want to let you do that, even though passing yards quarterback rating for opposing quarterbacks is up there at 96.7. I just... I really hope that what they saw and what they all felt is confidence in the guys up front and the acknowledgement and knowledge that Ken Walker can make stuff happen. Absolutely. I mean, we saw it in that game. One of his better game. I mean, he's had bigger numbers overall, but like a lot of those games are big numbers because he busted off some huge run. And just in terms of like play after play consistency, that was almost as good as we've seen him run, I feel like. And I, I think there's something to be said for the line, too. I mean, yep. this is the first time they've had that starting line together and play every snap because, you know, they've been kind of easing Abe Lucas back in, or even though he's been back a few weeks, this is the first game he played every snap. So to have the same five guys out there the whole game for a few weeks in a row now, that's that's going to help them. Well, and you had a style of defense that was, I don't want to say easier, more suited to run the ball the way that they want to run the ball. And Tennessee is lined up very similarly based on the conversations that I have had with the offensive line in the room. And the way that they consider Ken Walker is the guy that just sees green grass and runs for it. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily going to be the way that you schemed it up or blocked it up, 
but he can see the green grass before everybody else can, and he's just going to head that direction, which I think is kind of fun. Yeah, and he's going to get to it. Like he the, will get the to lateral it in movement, ways. like the touchdown run he had. You watch that, and it's like when he puts his foot in the you know puts his left foot in the ground and bounces right. Like the ground he covers laterally on that play is pretty absurd. It does make my adductors hurt. Is that the one on the outside? I think that's the outside. It makes sure. my adductors hurt. Makes my knees and my hips. Nope, we're not going to go there. You want to know the other running back we're going to be talking about a lot during this game? Derrick Henry. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him. He's pretty good. Well, he is, except not last week. (laughs) Well, yeah. Which is tough, right? Yeah. And there's some stuff going on there. So if you haven't looked at the stat line, it was funny because Brian Walters, after the game on Monday, was lamenting the fact that um, he knows exactly how many yards because Derrick Henry's on his fantasy football team. It was nine yards on 16 carries, and it was the lowest output of his entire career. Yeah, we talked to Jordan Brooks about him in the locker room today, and the first thing he pointed out is, like, we don't look at a guy's stat line from one week and be like, oh, okay, we got it. Like, they look at what Derrick Henry has done over the course of career and what he did to the Seahawks the last time he played him had a monster game. So, yeah, it, they know that he's still got a lot of talent, big playability, and that's going to be the big priority is keeping him in check. Well, how about the, you mentioned the big game. How about the yards on that one? 182 yards and three touchdowns on a career-high 35 rushing attempts. That was in 2021 here at Lumen Field. Yeah, unfortunately, I remember that. It was, well, I'd like to forget that one, but I've relived all of those memories this week. Here's the other thing, though. It's not just Derrick Henry. In his numbers, look, he was the um, rushing champ for two years in a row. He was the second leading rusher last year. Part of this is Tennessee is going through a little bit of a rebuild and a retooling, and their offensive line is a little bit inexperienced. You've got two rookies on the left side of it. You're down to your third right tackle. So some of those lanes for him are not quite as clean as they could be. Now, he can power his way through anything, but I talked to Draymond Jones and a couple of the defensive linemen. They said, look, first of all, there's an opportunity there for Seattle to get some penetration in the backfield, maybe disrupt that timing. But if you do, what's going to happen is Derrick Henry is going to kick it to the outside. So you better be there to set the edge um, and watch out for that stiff arm that uh, was rated as some of the best in the league that these guys have ever covered. Yeah, that that was another point Brooks made was that stiff arm. Specifically, he's like, you got to watch out for that arm because if he gets it with it, like it's it's over. They said it's like getting hit with a punch. He throws it like a boxer would throw a punch and it's just deadly. Jaron Reed played college ball with him Yeah, at Alabama. He said, we knew in practice if he broke one tackle, he was going to break five more. And I said, yeah, but could you take him to the ground? And he goes, yeah, yeah in those Al- days, Alabama, yeah. In those days we, uh, we went all out every practice. Look, so when he's you, had When you got experience. 120 people on your team, you can, <laughs> you can be a little more physical in practice. Yeah, I know. I forgot it was old school time for that one. But... It is going to be a challenge to stop Derrick Henry. We've got a little bit more to go here, but let's pause right now for a word from our presenting sponsor. Statistically, the world is losing color. Just consider all-white kitchens, beige baby nurseries, a sea of gray cars. But in the hundreds of destinations Delta flies to, you can rediscover color in the bright blue waters of Hawaii, the emerald green hills of Scotland, the berry pink cherry blossoms of Tokyo, and so much more. Sometimes opening your world is all it takes to open your mind, which is why when you fly Delta, your potential takes off when you do. Delta, official airline of the Seattle Seahawks. 
as we continue to get you ready for Sunday's game, Christmas Eve against the Tennessee Titans. This time of year, no team is healthy, but 14 Titans players have missed practice time this week due to injury. One of those is starting quarterback Will Levis, which means Seattle's looking at two different quarterbacks yeah. this week. Yeah, it's always an interesting challenge when you got the uncertainty there and the Eagles went through that last week with the Seahawks, and now the Seahawks are looking at, okay, is it going to be Tannehill? Is it going to be Will Levis? Well, and when you consider those two options, different ends of the spectrum with a rookie and a seasoned vet, as Pete Carroll knows well. Will Levis has, has come on. He's really shown a lot of bright spots. He's very aggressive, very strong thrower. He's quick, he's fast, he's tough. He looks, he's handling the system, you know, the system and all that. So I can see why they're fired up about you know growing with him and seeing him develop. Ryan Tannehill has been a good football player for a long time. They got off to a pretty even start with him, and then he got hurt. And uh, he's been down for a while because Will hit the scene, four touchdown passes first right out of the chutes, you know, and got him going and all that. So they they gave uh, Levis a chance to play. But Ryan comes back. He's an accomplished, established, experienced quarterback that can run this offense. And, and, uh, you know, we got to get ready for all that. The offensive numbers for the Titans, they don't jump off the page at you. I mean, you're looking at uh, bottom third of the league in total yards, just under a just under 300 yards, excuse me, a game. You're averaging about 18 points a game. Uh, that run game, even with Derrick Henry, is just a shade over 100 yards a game. So um, they have not had an easy go of it. Tannehill is a better decision maker, though. Yeah. As a veteran, Tannehill is the better decision maker. I have no idea the severity of Levis's injury. He has said this week that he wants to play. If he can walk, that he is going to play. But yeah, it's going to be a game time decision. Yeah. And the preparation will undoubtedly look a little different. And as we've seen the last couple of weeks, it's not always up to the quarterback if yes. he's going to get to play just because he can walk. Because if you'd have left it up to Geno Smith, he'd have played both those games. But the medical staff and the coaching staff have to look out for his best interests as well. So, yeah, I'm guessing that's just going to be kind of the mystery all week for this game, and we'll probably find out on Sunday. Here's another mystery as we get close to closing things out here is how the team responds to that win on Monday night. It has felt awesome around mm-hmm. the facility. I mean, the winning, it's, it, Pete talked about it this week, right? It's gratifying. It is reaffirming. It's, it's all of these things. And you still have to come back and play winning football for the next three weeks. That, in and of itself, is a challenge with a young team. As long as we're together, it's, it's, there's a mentality about how you handle success as well as how do you handle the, the, the setbacks. We work to develop a discipline by our routine that makes us get back into the habits that get you, you know, focusing on the next thing that's out there. And that's uh, so why we go right back to basics and fundamentals and, and really make a big deal about it. I mean, I'm pitching like crazy to try to draw our focus into all of those aspects of what happens on the football field so that you can't be, you can't be occupied with what's going on before. And so I think that's as important, uh, particularly as you're finishing the season and particularly when you get into playoff time. The way you're talking about winning there, I thought you were going to quote Nuclear Lush and talk about, <laughs> I like winning. It's a lot better than losing, man. <laughs> well, it's true. Though Those are words of wisdom. Yes, right and there. if you don't know what I mean, that means you haven't seen Bull Durham recently and you need to go watch it. There was a conversation. A yeah, there was a conversation in the locker room recently about Bull Durham and guys asking why they should watch that movie. And I started like making the points and I realized I was losing the battle and yeah. I just walked away and I, I said I'm really sorry for you guys that you will never hear some of the classic lines for yourself yes, it's a classic but back to that quote it, that's been a thing as long as Pete Carroll's been doing this of like big win or big loss it's how you respond to both will oftentimes tell the story of the next game and I think 
credit to Pete Carroll, one of the best things they did over the last four weeks is like they were losing some heartbreaking games and then struggling. But you didn't walk in the building, walk in that locker room and see a team moping around and acting like it was all this doom and gloom. It was like, okay, back to work. Let's end this and get going. And now it's the same mentality just coming off a win of that was great, but we got to get three more of them to, to be a playoff team. Yeah, absolutely. And in order to win three more, you have to win this one Sunday. John, what do you need to see from the Seahawks to ensure a win? I, I really loved what we saw from the defense in terms of just getting those explosives out of the game. Against the 49ers, it was, what, I think four plays of 40 or more yards, including a two 40-plus yard touchdowns, a 72-yard run. Longest play the Eagles had that entire game, a 20-yard scramble. And it was just like, oh, if you just make teams beat you the hard way, that's how you have better days defensively. So do that again. Just don't get gashed. Keep it going. And then I just love turnover-free football on offense. We saw it this past game. Do that again. If you can do those two things, I think you're going to have a real good day. I would love to see them come out and establish the run early. It took a while to get that run game going. There weren't that many plays in the first quarter. I totally understand. I would love to see a few more plays in the first quarter to get Ken Walker and that run game going. I would also like to see the defense get to the quarterback. Mm -hmm. That offensive line has been really beaten up all year long. 50 sacks, I think you said. 50 total sacks. That is one more than they allowed all of last season. Seven sacks last week is what the Texans got against the Titans. So um, get to the quarterback, dial at that fast rush. That's a winning formula. And we will fly home with a win and an early Christmas present. That's how you do it. And we will see you next week for a brand new edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast.